0: Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. What's up? Nate John here, producer for the show. Thanks for joining us on this Voice of San Diego podcast bonus episode. After two terms at the San Diego City Council, Chris Kate is leaving. He served District 6, that's the city's Asian Empowerment District, which stretches from Claremont Mesa up to Rancho Penasquitos. He was the last Republican elected official in City Hall. Now, Democrats will represent all city council seats and the mayor's office, including the new representative replacing Kate in D6, that's Kent Lee. Our editor-in-chief, Scott Lewis, got together with Chris Kate one last time before he took off to discuss the state of the local Republican Party, the third rails of local politics, how city politics have changed over the course of Kate's tenure, and, of course, the single biggest issue facing the region, homelessness. Here's Scott and outgoing City Council member, Chris Kate.
1: I'm going to start right with this. Several years ago, you uh, watched the San Diego City Council once again fumble its challenge to regulate vacation rentals. And it was this like, you could just see it on your face and others too, just a total exasperation with the process, right? You were just like done with it you you were frustrated. this the city had for years known it needed to regulate vacation rentals. The city attorney said you actually don't have a legal definition of this. so we could say it's prohibited completely, but we need to regulate you need to put something in the books about what these are and how they are regulated or how they're even defined in in civil government. Uh, and for years they just couldn't do it. They, they, you would get right to the point of doing it. And then somebody would change their mind. And it happened a couple times. Uh, and then you said after that, you said, I don't know if this city, I don't think this city is capable of governing. And, um, and that was something we seized on for a while. Cause that's what we, a lot of us felt like, is this city able to do things? Other than you know what it's like, operations are supposed to carry out every day. Then just this week, the the deadline hit for the actual vacation rentals. They did pass uh, an ordinance finally that capped vacation rentals at a certain percentage of all housing stock in the city, and was supposed to you know limit the 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 proliferation of them and provide a way to f- uh, fund enforcement and and enforcement of it. And they found out that they actually had more. Uh, permits available than people even asked for, so I, I, I'm wondering, do you feel like the city became capable of governing in that period?
2: Yes, and probably uh, not one of my my finer tweets. Maybe maybe it was for some for some when when I when I claim that we cannot govern as a city, but it was definitely in the in the heat of the moment and and going through a number of these huge hearings at golden hall and council chambers and trying to figure out a path to this to finally solve this in in some semblance and this is something I, i i started my first day in office we we got a call from a constituent who got a letter from the treasurer saying you owe taxes on this and come to realize exactly what you just said is that we have no rules on the books when it comes to vacation rentals and me being I guess the naive green council member said let's let's do it let's figure it out and and get something done and and solve a problem and you know lo and behold, I'm coming to the end of my eight years and we're finally you know putting something on the books but you know, i'll I'll say I think in the last you know two years um maybe maybe four years there's at least been a movement to Put ideas forward to solve problems. We may not like the the idea, the policy, what the council decides, but there's an energy there that we're going to put ideas forward and not be afraid to put ideas forward. Again, you, we may not all agree with them, but at least there's a, a discussion about that. I think the frustrating part on the short-term vacation rentals from from my side is that. You know, we were putting forward an idea, and people were saying no. Then okay, then what's the, then what's your idea? What's your proposal? And then people backing away from their proposal that they had signed their name to, and and the like. And it was just you know, we can come to some sort of consensus on a solution to a problem. Again, people may not like it. People may love it or not go far enough. But at least we're we're. Having the conversation, and that was the frustrating part for me.
1: Are you saying there's an energy now that there wasn't then? That there's a problem-solving energy and courage that there wasn't then.
2: Yeah, I think people are 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 more willing to touch different, you know, those third rail of politics, uh, at least locally here in San Diego, um, and maybe not so much fear of of consequences uh, about it, and again that's that's a good thing i mean there's a lot of challenges the city has and we want to have conversations about it i think you know telling the world that we can walk and chew gum at the same time is a is a good thing again folks may not love the the outcome of the decisions and we, you know god knows i've been on the losing end of a, a number of votes the past couple of years and throughout my time but um i at least i appreciate the conversations that are are being had and being discussed and um, we can decide whether we can set them aside for now or move forward or or what. And that's again, I, I think a good thing.
1: Let me finish this topic just because it's it's yeah. kind of interesting. Um <clears throat> before we get into some of these questions of broader leadership and such. And but that's about the vacation rentals themselves. So the mm-hmm. the, the idea was to cap vacation rentals at one percent of city housing stock
2: yes and they adjust that based on the numbers we get in terms and, of full housing stock
1: yeah and so i think there was an idea that that would that would actually limit and maybe that some people who have a vacation rental now would would not get would not win the lottery and thus wouldn't have vacation rentals and would maybe cut it down but without it turns out that they didn't even get as many applications for those permits as there were made available does that mean it was it was the wrong threshold that it was the that it didn't actually hit the right number and maybe will allow more than than exists now?
2: It's a great question. I mean, I, I think it could be a, a multitude of reasons. I could, I could, I think it could be some are saying we're just going to change our business model and yeah. not meet the threshold and not have to go through this process and do the lottery and whatnot. I think, and I, I've, I think I said this during those those meetings mm-hmm. is I think. The opponents of short-term rentals were always overinflating the number. To be quite frank, I mean, there's cross-platforms and promotions going on, on on listing your property, and no one knows what the real number is. And but it sounds scary to say there's you know 15,000 you know single-family homes that are that could be used for this or that or or otherwise. So I think some of it's an overinflation of the the total number. What the real silver bullet reason is? I, I can't I can't say, but I think it's a, a multitude of those reasons that probably the led market to this. too, right? Like the Yeah, pandemic. could be the market as well too. Absolutely. Um and um you know, I've just it's good, to, I think that we're at a point where we're not having a, I guess another another issue to have to deal with with folks not getting permits and and the like and having to solve that problem or or us as policymakers hear from constituents saying I I've been doing this, been doing it right for for years, and now I don't have a permit. And we don't have to worry about that now, which is, I think, a good thing as well.
1: Yeah. You were elected in 2014. Yep. And that was at the sort of I, I guess it was even a little bit after the end of kind of an era of of more conservative politics that that dominated San Diego City Hall. And and now you're leaving and you're the only Republican on the council. And, um, in that period, a lot happened. It feels like you mentioned the the third rail of politics that that, c- that city council members and others are are willing to challenge more. What have you learned about the sort of untouchable questions at city hall and um what you know what proved to be true about them or not
2: yeah i I think what I have learned is that those third rail policies the third rail politics don't exist if you're able to bring together a coalition of of folks and present a message or present an idea to solve that problem. And I think we're we're starting to see those fall by the wayside, whether it was short-term vacation rentals, whether it's the people's ordinance, uh, the height limit for the midway. I mean, these are things that's you would often tell or I heard as a candidate that you can't talk about these things you ha you can't engage on them, and we've seen just in the last couple of years a high level of engagement and and, and those coalitions being formed to address them and to and to uh try to tackle those problems so you know I think the the old way of thinking about those are things you shouldn't touch or you shouldn't talk about um, are, are proving to be uh, not true. And maybe they were true in the time, but now they're not. I think I think the public is hungry for, for, for elected officials who are solution-oriented, who want to present ideas. Let's talk about
1: one of them in particular. San Diego City residents who were able to get their trash to a, a city-operated, maintained street, uh, Got that trash taken away by the city without a special fee. And that was considered like, you know, always a a place that people wanted to raise money uh, from to fund city services. And then also just a thing you could never touch because people valued that so much. You opposed the change to that Measure B as it became Uh, Measure B passed. But I I sensed that as you opposed it and you, you spoke out against it that you respected the the council president Shani Lo Rivera's you know willingness to sort of put it out there as a as as you know a, a kind of bold initiative uh, and and you are instrumental in him even being in the position to do that right you helped select him uh, you as a member of the city council I think basically changed your vote from who was council President, uh, previously Jen Campbell, to him. and that was that allowed him to take that spot. Um, what is it that that makes you comfortable? somebody's pursuing something that you disagree with, but you still kind of appreciate and respect that person. How does that work?
2: Uh, I mean, exactly that. and and you know I'm, I'm fortunate I've been able to develop, I think, a very good relationship with with Council President Ella Rivera for the past couple of years and and it's just it's it's that I mean I, I appreciate the fact that he was elected by his residents to do something and he's doing it. I may not agree with all the ideas that he has but you know I respect the hustle. I, he's he's put himself out there and he's willing to 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 say things that were you know uncouth or, or not popular before and he's willing to put his neck on the line and say you know, I was lucky to to lead and to to present these ideas. I'm doing it, and if you don't like them, let's come up with the other ideas and and put them forward. And you know, again, I've been on the losing end in some of those debates. This this one included. Uh, I didn't. I don't like the fact that as a city, we're going to be now stuck with not potentially having the best level of service for the lowest cost to residents in the way we do collect trash, which is, it's funny, we were, uh, there was the complaint that we're the only city that doesn't charge for trash. And now we're gonna be the only city that has city crews picking up trash, uh, which is different from everybody else. So, I mean, I thought there was some balance in there if we we're gonna go down this, this line, but um, you know, the members, who are gonna be here in two to three years and are gonna have a very difficult conversation about how much we're gonna be charging for trash at a time where we're now gonna be seeing potentially double digit water rate increases coming forward and energy prices going up and, and the like. And it's uh, funny that the economy, there's you know complaints about the, the cost of living in San Diego and the fees we charge for, for different things. And yet we're okay with now, if, saddling residents with a whole of their fee.
1: Yeah, there was a story out of Alabama about a a woman who was arrested for missing her trash fee bill. She 82-year-old woman who um wasn't able to pay her or didn't pay her trash collection fee. And It's like you you, you bring on a whole new set of challenges yep. when you open up that door. Let's talk we'll talk about fiscal issues in a second, but I want to talk about let me put this out there and see what you think. So we, we talk about Sean and Lo Rivera and your appreciation for kind of his direct approach and respect that went back and forth between you two. It feels like there are three types of city politicians that I always encounter. One is the um, uh, I, I call it the mouse. They're they're just they're they're quiet. They don't want to talk about anything. They don't want to they they do their work. They get their thing done. They serve their constituents, but they rarely want to go out and say anything. Um, they, they definitely don't want to take public stands and then in private, I'm not sure really what goes on. Cause it, a lot of it is private and, and they're just, they're kind of just doing their thing and, um, taking care of their business and trying to stay out of the, out of the way of the light, the light turns on, they're going to, they're going to kind of stay out of it. The second one is the one that's kind of always in the light but just never says anything. It's just a lot of words all, all the time, right? And it's just like kind of, and and I'll, you know, and you can take issue with it, but somebody like Kevin Faulkner or something, there's just a, there's a constant presence, but just a very, diff- it was always very difficult for me to understand, like, what is that, like, what is that actually saying? What what are we getting across with that? And then there's a third type that that is just like, you know, it's, it seems like more down to earth, just willing to say things more directly. Sometimes they get in a little trouble for it, but they're also like so confident about it in a way that they're like, it it doesn't seem to damage them the way it might be if they were more self-conscious or worried about it. And they're willing to like talk and share information more and deal with things that are not not comfortable. And it feels like maybe there's a few more of them and when there's more of those, uh then than uh, then you know sort of the people who are afraid of everything um it it seems like more gets done, but it's also it also can be a little bit more contentious What do you think about those categorizations is that yeah. like un- unfair no
2: i don't i mean i don't I don't think so, and I think you know everyone falls into a certain style and they're comfortable in that in that style and and sometimes I think people can can shift you know from. The start of their political careers to the end. Um, maybe because like myself, they see the end and you don't give a fuck anymore. So it's all good. Um, you know, and and uh I think the the third point that the folks who I think are more comfortable in their skin, they're okay with with being out on the edge a little more and presenting those ideas and and willing to have those conversations, I think they're They're showing up more, which is, I think, a good thing. I often talk about this during the budget process is as the council, we're the legislative body, we hold the power of the purse. We should have more of a say at the budget. We should have uh, more of a conversation with the executive branch about what our priorities are and what we're going to fund. And, you know, why can't it get to a point where the council, their own budget. Yeah. There's nothing that says we can't. You know, the mayor has to present his by the 15th of April. But if the council wants to in February or March say, this is our budget, you know, this is where our priorities are, if there could be consensus and agreement on that, here you go, mayor. Now y- your move. This Do you feel is, like the
1: council has abrogated that?
2: Um, I think it's been a short amount of time since the move from strong mayor to now where the we haven't been able to get to that point. I mean, mayor is still relatively in its infancy. You know, 2006 was when we, I think 2006 was when we permanently established it. It means it hasn't been that long of a time. And when you've had decades of the you know council manager form of government, you're so used to that process. Now moving to this where we're starting to better understand the roles of each of the branches of government. I think there could be a point in the near future where that does happen. And I was more of just how do we kickstart that, you know i I appreciate I'm a supporter of strong mayor, but I'm also one where we should, as a council, understand fully our our responsibilities as a coequal branch of government and 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 utilize that whomever the mayor is, whether I'm a friend with him, he's on the same party, or whatever else. Um, I still think that there is a a, pl- a place for legend to body to to show its influence and it's not to the maximum extent
1: let's just describe what you're talking about so yes it used to be the city council included the mayor the mayor was like a glorified member of the council presided over the meetings but the council hired an executive to run the city the city manager that switched in 2006. Uh, and it feels like every year we learn more about the implications <laughs> of that, even yeah. even you know 16 years later. And I think that's partly what you're referring to is since then, though the council has never acted with the power, it seems like it has to stop or to um, truly influence the direction because the mayor, yes, he's in charge of all the staff, but everything that is policy oriented or budget oriented needs to go through the council. And it and they they've never taken that upper hand, it feels like. It feels like honestly, this may be one of the few moments I've started to see that change where um actually ironically, Todd Gloria seemed to do it more when he was the council president. Now he's mayor, and it feels like Sean Elo is taking the biggest steps I've seen to assert the council's presence over it. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, I think I think that's something that's you know my conversations with Sean is something where we have to utilize that more and and part of it is you know we just for this year moved up the council's budget process and getting priorities sent to the mayor earlier than it previously was for this for this mere fact is that you know the the budget process of the city starts now, I mean departments are already having conversations about what the budget's going to look like when the mayor proposes it in April. And previously, the council was sending the mayor their priorities in February, which is, I mean, you're now just putting icing on the cake. It's not really in the process of baking the actual cake. Now we're doing it months earlier where we're sending this now to the mayor in early November. We're now a part of baking the cake. And that is a a step in that direction of potentially having a council adopt their own budget or say that's more forcefully the mayor, if you don't include these things, we're going to send back your budget. Yeah. And, you know, again, which is, I think a good thing because the budgeted body holds the power of the purse.
1: Without a two thirds majority though, the mayor can almost like unilaterally manipulate the budget as we found out. Um, uh, Kevin Faulkner sort of notoriously made some changes in a previous budget cycle. And a lot of us were like, I didn't even realize that he could do that. Um, but now the council, does it, it, you feel like it could, it could handle it? Yeah, like that? I
2: think, I think, I think it could. And understanding those nuances and mm-hmm. what the charter says and authorities that, that exist. And, you know, I've been very supportive of, of the, of the mayor, whomever they were asking for more authority on contracts or, different uh funding of projects so long as those projects are included in the budget, which is again reverts back to the responsibility of the council to have a more in-depth conversation about what they're funded and if you want those efficiencies to occur throughout the year, you know I don't want to approve in a budget in 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 May June that the mayor and the city can can build this project and then have them come back to me, you know, three, four times throughout the year for approval of contracts and opening a CIP or this or that. I'd be like, I approve this, go do it. And let's not get bureaucracy in the in, in the way. And I've been supportive of, of those things because I had my opportunity at the front end to say, I agree with this project or I don't agree with this project. And that should be our shot. And then let the city go do it. Pull it off. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Fascinating. So it feels like there are two um, kind of brains in city, um, around city hall. And one of them thinks that more revenue to the city is de facto good and desired and positive. Like you mentioned, people will say, we're the only city that doesn't charge for trash. And it seems like there's two reactions to that. One is like, great. <laughs> and that might be like yours. Right. Yeah. And and then another one is like, well, that needs to be a fixed as though that's a problem de facto and i think assuming it's a problem is a is a a frame of approach to city politics that a lot of people have and a lot more of them are are in charge now than used to be but there is still a and there will always be a force in local politics that says you have enough or you need to really justify why you need more revenue because every dollar you take from us is a dollar we can not invest in our communities, in our families, and all that. And I think that's the 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 one thing you've been known for for you know since before that you were on the city council as a uh, representative of the taxpayers' association and other places as like that constraint. Like we you need to always justify every dollar that you want and how it's going in. I, I'm interested because I think that is a valuable force to have in in local politics is to make sure that you know even if i believe that more money needs to be invested in something our parks are a disaster our public bathrooms are you know those kinds of things that you can't just sign blank checks to everything you need to have an oversight you need to be able to hold people accountable to make sure that they're doing that uh, work efficiently and well and to a really high standard and i i wonder what you think the prospects are now of that force? Like where is the force right now of like keeping things accountable at City Hall make sure that this new revenue that does come in, the higher rates, the trash fees, the other tax increases that might be considered or maybe the economy starts doing well, where is that movement right now? Because it feels like it's almost non-existent.
2: Yeah. Um, It's a concern I have. You know, again, I I love all... All my colleagues there and whatnot, but you know when you um, have unanimity in terms of of you know party holding, you know all branches of government, and there often is the the times the the risk of groupthink, and how are you going to have a diverse point of view brought be brought forward to discussion? I think that's something that I've I've really Valued and cherished, my role in that is able you to know, have conversations with my colleagues, whether on the dais or individually, and try to provide a, a a different way of thinking about something to get to either the same point or include that within a policy so they understand that, or or just raise that point in in objection and and have it be a part of of my of my opposition to a policy. But it's at least on the record and the conversation is had. I am concerned that that's not going to be there now. Um, you know, hopeful that' that when policies are brought forward, at least those things are discussed and talked about uh either during committee or at council, or the solution lies in the outside forces bringing forward those those conversations and messages to the council throughout the process or afterwards when it comes to the ballot box and holding. Elected officials accountable for for the decisions that they're making, but I think there is a, a vacuum that exists there, um, one in which these ideas can be brought forward in a manner that's constructive. You know, and I don't think there's always a need to to blow things up and you know and, and drop bombs on on folks. I think there's a, a path to having those conversations uh, be constructive and hopefully revising a policy to to before it's voted on. But I think there's a, a vacuum that exists, and that's a role that can be filled by, you know, the taxpayers' association, the chamber, other um, other groups, um, the public at large, um, when 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 voicing their opinion on on issues. But it's it's definitely a concern a concern that I have, and I'm hopeful at least the council will be willing to listen to those divergent viewpoints. Um, moving forward, and they're not just all in lockstep on doing this uh this thing for uh because they want to maximize
1: revenues or or whatever else you you mentioned the taxpayers association and the and the chamber frankly i I feel like they're almost absent from the discussion now the taxpayers association was more prominent in the discussion about the the trash fee in measure b uh more prominent than I've seen them in a long time, but I remember. When you were around, they, they would be a more constant voice on everyday issues at the city council. Like, are we keeping in mind this? Or is it as efficient as possible? Is it going to have the outcome we want? Should we consider a different route? Um, who would you say, uh, identi- uh, if you were to look at anybody in City Hall or even around City Hall, who's willing and able to really articulate... That point of view that you need to have constraint, you need to be able to justify every dollar, you need to be able to insist on high efficiency and high quality when a dollar is spent. Who's other than you? You don't get to say <laughs> you right now. Who's the 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 best at that right now?
2: I mean, it's it's has to be the collective of all those groups, and and you know,
1: I'm sorry, our, but you can't say anyone.
2: Right? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I don't think there's there's one. You know voice in particular that that comes to mind that says we're constantly down at city hall and constantly chirping in our ears about um this policy or that policy I mean know
1: let's switch to uh I feel is the number one, two, and three issue right now in city politics, and that is the the homeless crisis that there's, and i I think of it. I've been trying to think of it as kind of three different. Crises. There's the the actual housing and humanitarian crisis of shelter. Uh, there's the um, the question and the encounters of uh, you know people on the street, uh, people in encampments, and and the relationship to them and surrounding neighborhoods, and what role, for instance, the police have in that. And then there's this question of of what, uh, you know, this sort of third thing, is there like a, a triage or an intermediary or some sort of other way to to deal with all of that while we wait for the housing and, and the, the, the shortage to actually be dealt with? When you look at this, what do you think is the core crisis right now in why there's so many people homeless and uh so many encampments and so many problems that people are articulating uh, about what's happening in the streets
2: i don't think there's a single issue i mean i think you, you you eloquently laid out kind of the different um uh buckets in which the crisis crises exist in in conjunction with each with with each other i mean you're probably speaking yes we have a housing crisis, we need more housing whether that's uh market rates. Affordable, permanent, supportive. We need all of the above approach. And I think we've this council in particular has said we're open to it. Let's do it. We're willing to to bring solutions forward and try to spearhead and and jumpstart construction of 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 these of these homes. Um, You talked about kind of the the mental health aspect that may be existing uh, that does exist, and and how do we Address that working in conjunction with the county and the states, um, and and maybe not having PDB the first point of contact, which you know I, I I agree with. And then there's kind of the the quality of life for our neighborhoods and whatnot. And um, you know uh, how do we how do we address that? And you know I point back to that. I think there's other uh, issues that have happened, whether it's you know my belief, whether it's Prop 47 um maybe one o nine some of these other things that came down from the state that I don't think were' very much thought through um you know headlines sounded great at the time, but there was no follow through on the back end on on those things and I think a lot happened in a very short period of time um that puts us in in this in this position and what's interesting is 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 really I think what's is we're seeing across the country, not just in San Diego, and and maybe it's going to take some other cities to, um, really jumpstart some of these conversations. You know, you're hearing what's happening in New York with Mayor Eric Adams, um, and you know, uh, trying to address the mental health crisis there with institutionalization and whatnot. That may not be the the solution, but it's interesting to see a approach being taken on a fairly progressive city and what they're willing to do, and and maybe. Us looking at them and saying, "Okay, here's an example of of a way that was done to try to address at least one aspect of this. Do we mimic it? Do we take pieces of what they're doing and try to implement that here?" Um, So I think there's a kind of this crisis coming to a head where I think other cities are are maybe not uh, or starting to take steps ahead of of where we've been. Which I personally think we've been kind of on the cusp of some of those solutions, and we're able to see what other cities are doing and either implement them and mimic them or adjust and see how we're going to uh, cater that to our own population here.
1: When I started really thinking about homelessness, it was, I think about 10 years ago and it was, it was at that point, it was something where you just kind of, we should talk about this more as an issue that people need to consider more. You know, it was, we'd have people come to our events and say, Hey, this seems like something we should talk about more as a as a list of things that the city's dealing with it should be higher up on the priority and it's it feels to me as though it is now transitioned to this is just every part of city life is is being affected by this question and politics in particular and part of me wants to address it the way you might address something similar that would have that sort of impact on a discussion if if there was a a tsunami that hit or a hurricane that hit San Diego it would it would also become suddenly the biggest issue just as covid did in 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 city politics in city public policy and we would reorient everything around dealing with it and if if a tsunami hit that created this much displacement this many people uh homeless out in the streets just trying to survive we would feels like if there was a tsunami we would create a a place for them to go with tents from fema we would have uh safe places for them to go otherwise we would be creating massive uh, uh mobilization efforts to take care of them to get them into different spots and instead, I feel like it's still just being treated as a, another problem among a list of problems in the city. Do you agree with that? And is there, a, or do you agree that some shift needs to occur where we take it more seriously and, and as a bigger challenge?
2: When I ran in 2014, this was not issue one, two, three, four, or five on people's list. You know, when I ran in fourteen, there was. At least in my district, no conversation about homelessness. I mean, just wasn't wasn't there. Uh, but now it is, and because we see it. I mean, in Mir- you go on Mirror Mesa, you drive down Mirror Mesa Boulevard, you see the encampments. You know, and it's it's top of mind for folks, and um, it's now brought to the forefront where this is, you know, you know, Kent in his campaign focused on homelessness. I did not do that in fourteen or in eighteen. So the the, the there's been a shift in in that. Um, when it comes to how you how you dress it. There's so many layers to it, right when we talk about a tsunami, I think we're all on the same page and people are, are wanting to you know go to uh run for cover or go to a certain place and be protected or whatnot I only you can say the same thing on homelessness you know people have constitutional rights we you know we have to we have to keep that in mind we can't do certain things you know panhandling and, and medians right I can't go and arrest that person, you know, or no matter how many calls we get from residents who want to get rid of that person who's panhandling. Can't do that. I can't move this person to this place um, just because they're there. You know, homelessness is not a crime. And so there's these different layers that exist that make the solution so complex where it's not, we're all rowing in the same direction, but we have to figure that that part out, um, not to mention where, where are we going to build shelters? Where are we going to build permanent support housing units? Where are we going to build homes? Where are we going to build affordable housing units? How long it takes to build these damn things? Like it's, it's all these intricate layers that go on top of it. Where it's, I can't just move this person and solve this problem and just, and just you know wipe it out of out of your your existence as a resident because you don't like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. I wish you know I wish homelessness were that were that easy, but it, it's 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 not. But I think we're getting to a point, and where I mentioned earlier, I don't want to say by force, but like we're gonna have to figure this out. Because I agree in that it's 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 there's no humanity in letting people be on the streets and shoot up and do drugs and all these things. And you know, your morning report this morning about the county's vote next week about whether or not people have to be dr- people have to be uh, drug free to enter shelters. That's a valid conversation to have, you know, should there be some barriers to entry into this and say, we'll give you shelter, but you have to do this. And then the next steps on those conversations about how do we get people off the streets in a manner where um, they are bettering themselves and not, um, you know, being addicted and, and having that diminish their quality of life and the quality of life of others. So. There, those are going to be very hard conversations and very hard discussions um and debates um and there's going to be a, a balancing act that's going to have to take place um but it's i can get those convers- conversations can get pretty ugly pretty quickly um i i hope it doesn't get to a point though where folks are um casting aspersions on policymakers because these are difficult decisions and i think from my standpoint, I haven't come across an elected official who's um, you know, doing this and um, enjoying themselves by, by demonizing a population. I don't, th- I, I don't think that's happened, even though people may think that's happened. I don't think folks are demonizing anybody. We're, already, we're trying to be positive in our solutions and, and take a uh, look at it through a humanitarian lens on it. Um, but this is a debate that gets pretty heated very quickly.
1: Do you feel like everything that's in place and being implemented now, that the problem is on its way to getting better or
2: worse? I like to use data to inform my decisions. And if you look at the data, the problem's not getting better. I mean, there are more people on the streets than being housed every single month. And the numbers support that.
1: Is the city doing everything it can from what you've witnessed to address that? I don't want to say in theory, but like y-
2: yes, but it's it takes implementation of, of, of those of these things, right? You know, like and, it's
1: kind of unfair that it's on the city, right? Sure. It's, a, it's a global or national Absolutely. economic, socioeconomic uh, drug issue. There's a lot going on. Yeah,
2: and that's why I try to cast it in that in that there's a hesitancy in my answers because you know there's things out of our control. So you know, look, we're we're talking about building more homes like constantly, and that's part of the conversation. But that takes. Time. I mean, I can't snap my fingers and solve this problem. I, mean, I can't, you know, change the housing market. You know, oh, I wish I could. I can't. You know, and you know, and now you have these other ancillary issues that are coming forward. Like, what if we do hit a recession next year? How's that throw th- throw a recession into the mix, right? And, and throw you know eight percent interest rates on 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 buying a home with you know a, an inflated market. Like, all these things can be thrown out our way, and we have. We're just adding that to the pile of problems to address, in line with a huge issue that already exists in terms of
1: homelessness. Well, the way you describe it feels hopeless.
2: <laughs> I, well, I hope not. I mean, I don't. I, 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 I guess I'm, I'm trying to convey that it's 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 not an easy problem to solve. Of course. In and it takes a lot of different folks coming to the table, which is something we haven't seen in a while as well. Too, I mean, the county and the city talking to each other is a is a great thing. It's a good thing. Um, the county better understanding their responsibilities. I wish other cities understood those responsibilities as well too, and and and, and joining those conversations just, as opposed to just thinking that you know maybe there's still homeless people who live in our cities.
1: You you go to some of these events, um, and you know a couple people have a couple glasses of wine or shots or something, and and really powerful people will be saying things like they should you know. We should they should go to the jail. there should be more people in jail There, there are they're criminal elements um you you mentioned prop forty seven that uh prop forty seven of course lessened the uh, sort of de facto enforcement and punishment of certain crimes uh low level drug offenses and uh low level theft stuff like that. That's often brought up as like that we we kind of became a more permissive society which allowed some of these things to progress but I feel like the end uh message of a logic like that is that more people should be in jail. Do you do you feel like that's
2: not not necessarily but I mean the the promise of Prop 47 was that the treatment was going <laughs> to come with that and it never came.
1: So the behavioral health treatment. It, exactly.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of that logic train that you just mentioned is by default what was going to happen because there was never the other end of the promise from the fund standpoint that was you know that was harped on and used as a message for passage of prop 47 that well, we're going to give money to these localities for behavioral treatment
1: it's not right to put them in jail we're going to take care of them better exactly and the we're going to take care of them better didn't come exactly uh, all right so as we've said a few times now you're the last republican on the city council at least for now and you're leaving in two weeks then uh, I think that brings up the question I keep asking and have asked for the last several years, what is the future of the actual Republican Party in San Diego? Uh, and let me actually frame it like this, because I feel like one of the areas that is kind of strong throughout California, at least Southern California, are Asian Americans that that identify as Republicans, includes you. Of course, they they seem energized. They seem to to be um um organizing around core fiscal issues that are more palatable in uh, a more socially liberal environment. And uh do you do you feel like there's hope there? Do you feel like the party has a future in San Diego?
2: Let me start by saying I I appreciate the fact that you you're open to having this conversation. I mean you're the one who talks about it the most and, and I I appreciate that. You know, I think it 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 lends credence that's you know we exist as republicans and uh so just for thank you for being engaged on on, on this and Thanks the future for of the party that, yeah. of course um you know i am hopeful and you brought up you know um api's asian americans and there is um at least in my sense kind of a a building block that exists there that if the party were smart, would capitalize on that um you know that was done with um Hispanic, some time ago, I remember you know, with Ruben Morales kind of leading up the Grow Elect project, um, and and having more Hispanic engagement in the in, in the Republican Party. I think an opportunity exists there with uh, Asian Americans as well too, and we've seen successes in Southern California to mention, whether it's you know Michelle Steele uh, or Young Kim. Um, you know, these are great um, individuals who are kind of leading the path uh, on that, and so you know, I am hopeful for the party. I, I always going to remain optimistic about the party, but there needs to be some serious conversations about engagements. Um, what are we doing to differentiate ourselves? You know, I've been, you know, not shy about claiming the Trump impact on the party, especially here in San Diego and locally. Um, and I don't, uh, I hope I'm hopeful that we're moving away from that um, and having that be the brand of of the party, um, especially when we're having these conversations with minority groups um, and and figuring out a path to to really engage with them, at least here in Southern California and San Diego, to how to be or wanting to be a part of the Republican Party. Um, but there needs to be more attention, especially in in, in the off years of. What the party is doing and how we're engaging um, with voters, um, building upon um, some successes we've had at other um, cities this year, whether it's, you know John McCann or Dane White and Escondido. Um, you know those are great victories where especially in Escondido, where we you know Republicans unseated an incumbent. Um, how do we build off those victories? Um, what are we doing about candidate recruitment for for twenty four? Um, what seats are we targeting? Uh, those are all things that I think need to occur, and hopeful there are some uh louder voices that are gonna be engaging and 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 pushing the party in that direction.
1: Can that occur if if Trump is on the ballot in twenty four There's a very good chance he will be
2: i th- I think it can, but it's gonna take leadership who are willing to push against. Um, those that are most um, ardent and fervent in, in support for him. So um, I'm hopeful that that can occur. I personally think he'll be on the ballot or will be the nominee in 24, but um, tag me on that quote on time on everything. Uh, but uh, time and date, despite that, I think there's a way to differentiate and still have success.
1: Also on the ballot in 2024, there'll be uh, a city attorney's race. You've um, had some encounters with the San Diego City Attorney, Mara Elliott. Uh, She's known almost nationally now for her work to take firearms from people who are considered dangerous to their community, the red flag laws that she's imposed. But there's also been a lot of frustration with her being out of step or unsupportive or just not helpful as she... You know, kind of promised to be when she ran to the city council as far as uh, pursuing the legal solutions for their priorities. Um, do you think that should be an elected office? No. Do you, th- do you think there will be a movement to change it? Um,
2: there could be a movement, whether that's support of the ballot box is another question. You know, voters are skeptical of removing their authority and their power away from electing positions so while there could be a movement you know inside that building inside city hall that it would be difficult now, i'm not i don't have any polling numbers or anything to, to back this up but i think it'd be difficult just seeing what's happened in other cities to go from elected to appointed
1: what do you think? was most frustrating for you about how that office operates?
2: It's just, it's another bureaucracy to have to deal with. And, you know, you've covered this in some of your stories and and commentary on, you know, the position of, an elected, right? That's an elected person. They're a politician. They have their own policies, their own ideas in mind, uh, potential grandeurs of running for other offices. Who knows, right? Um, And that's just... A, another layer to all this when it's needs to be in my opinion more of a, an operational um position.
1: Yeah, supportive infrastructure. Correct. Uh well, I guess lastly, w- what happens now for you? What do you what are your plans uh and uh where are you headed? <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere,
2: thankfully. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just moving to something where I hopefully have more more time to spend with my with my family. Um, my wife and my kids. Um, you know, they're at an age where I want to be present um, with them. Um, so, definitely no running for office anytime soon. Um, I'm never going to say never. You know, I I, I love the city. Um, I I love being in a position where I have a you know be able to say things that are on my mind and 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 try to build coalitions to solve problems. Um, and I'll still be around. I mean, I'll still have a, a I think a voice in in communicating to um the council um and other elected bodies throughout the region on on issues of, of importance and you know I've I've joked with with Kent I feel bad for him I'm probably gonna be the most nagging constituent that he's gonna have <laughs> as a as a as a, a resident and, and a friend of his um but you know w- also offering my colleagues others as much help as, as possible you know that's the biggest thing that I've tried to convey with them is that despite any differences we may have I I, I really respect what they're going through, um, it's a it's a small club uh, of folks who run for office and become elected officials, and I think there's a degree of respect that's there that they've earned in that, and we just want to offer my help to them whenever possible, if 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 need be.
1: We used to talk about you as a potential candidate for mayor. Is that something you'd consider? There'll be a race in '24.
2: Absolutely not. Okay. No, I am not running for mayor in '24. Uh, I'd be lying if I told you that you know that wasn't on my mind. Um, you know, when I first ran for office, um, and kind of just natural progression yeah. of, of, things. But now with, with, with life happening and kids, I, I will not be running for, for mayor or any other position in the near, in the near term. That's, that's for sure. At least, um, unless someone can convince my wife otherwise. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Councilman Chris Crate, I hope you enjoy your last two weeks. Thanks for always being available to us. And, and, uh, I, I've appreciated that and, uh, good luck. now yeah.
2: Thank you. And thank you for what you do as well, too. Love The Voice. You guys do a great job.
1: Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to The Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Keep up with everything we're doing with The Morning Report. You can check it out and subscribe at VOSD.org slash morning. Scott Lewis is the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.